This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You can work very hard and long at stuff that carries no meaning. So one of our challenges, it's the way of overcoming this, is to say, how can I reframe this in such a way that Okay, even though at face value it looks meaningless, here's how I'm going to give it meaning. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show. Today, I am super excited to welcome a guest who I don't know if we could have a more relevant guest speaking on a more relevant topic at this moment in time than our guest today. Her name is Eileen McDar. Now, in my industry of people who speak professionally for a living, uh, Eileen is a member of the Hall of Fame of professional speakers. That's the CPAE, which is a a very distinguished award. Uh, And since 1980, Eileen has been helping organizations and individuals transform the life of their business and the business of their life. I love that. Through conversations that matter and connections that count. She's become known as a master facilitator and award-winning author and is an internationally recognized keynoter and executive coach. And, And this is pretty cool. This is a big deal. In 2019, Global Gurus International Uh, identified her as the number one, the first ranked of all the world's top 30 communication professionals in a global survey. That's 22,000 different business professionals. And Eileen came out number one on that. So that tells you a little bit about her reputation and the regard with which she's held in the business community. She's written six books. Her seventh book is the one that we're going to be talking about today, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and reclaim what matters. It's just out. It's just hit the shelves, uh, virtual shelves for the most part, although you can certainly order it from your local bookstore, but we're getting everything virtually right now from Barrett Kohler Publishers. Uh, Eileen McDar, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you. And and I love the title of this podcast. (laughs) I think now more than ever, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul is critical because we've seen some so-called leaders who I think have lost their souls. And in the process, what happens to the folks that they have around them? So I'm, I'm thrilled that we're talking about this because this topic of burnout, David, as you know, when I, it's become even greater. Uh, when I turned my manuscript in in December, it was, it was huge. Um, because in May of last year, the World Health Organization declared it globally uh, it listed it under its, disease, its classification of diseases. So they didn't call it a disease. They called it an occupation, a global occupational hazard. It was huge. Which is fascinating to me. And I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. And, and absolutely, when you talk about the name of the show, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, that's one of the definitions of how leaders lose their soul. How does that manifest? How does it show up? And burnout, that isolation, all of those things are, are part of that. So Before we get into burnout and talking about your expertise there and and how we can navigate through it, 
want to ask you a question that I ask every guest on this show, which is, I want you to think back to your earliest memory as a leader. What's your first time you ever remember thinking of yourself as a leader? That's a lovely question. And it makes me go back way far more than I thought I would. It was when I was in college at the University of Florida. And I became, there was a, and I don't even know if it's still around, it's called Angel Flight. And Angel Flight was an auxiliary to the, um, to the Air Force ROTC program and specifically the Arnold Air Society. And I had been elected to be a member of this Angel Flight. And I became the quote commander because we were like a regular military operation uh, for the flights in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and Puerto Rico. And I became that quote commander because I knew we could do better than what we were doing right then. And I think we can make this better. We can be a whole lot better than what we are right now. And it actually, because of that, I became, I was selected as commander of the year for the nation. Um, and when I graduated from the University of Florida was given, they divide one man and one woman. I was the outstanding graduate in leadership for the University of Florida. And I'm sure that was because I looked at this angel flight and said, we can do better. In fact, I remember reading years, years later that leadership comes from a place that troubles your heart. Mm, powerful. And it's, what is it that I can do better than this? It doesn't have to be huge, but you know what? I know we can do better. And I'll take I love that. that. I love that. Oh my goodness. That, that definition of leadership, to me, it's so quintessential that together we can have a better tomorrow yeah. than today. Yeah. At a young age, you started seeing that experiencing that and we're both placed in a position but then really dove into your own leadership exploring it because of that belief yeah and i had until you asked that question i hadn't really i mean i'm a long way from college at least two years <laughs> a couple of years well i love that I, one of the reasons i asked that question is i am so inspired by all of the different ways that leadership shows up for us early in life and uh and it just has so many different aspects to it. And I just love that one because it's, you're such at the heart of, of what it means to be a leader yeah. uh, and to experience yeah. that early on. Well, you have been a leader since then in so many different ways, trying to make not just uh, your corner of it, but the entire world and workplace a, a better place and yeah. definitely working together to have a better tomorrow. So the way we're specifically talking about that today uh, is in on this topic of burnout. And so you're helping us navigate from burnout to breakthrough. So you mentioned a moment ago that this is not just like, and I used to, honestly, I used to think of it this like, ah, I'm burned out. It was just an expression. Mm -hmm. and, and I had moments where I'd get tired or, or like, gosh, I just don't have any more to give right now. And, but that's different than what we're talking about here. What do we mean by burnout? Why is it a global occupational hazard as defined by the World Health Organization? I mean, that's, that is, it's, um, it, it, it is a big deal. Um, and I think, oh, by the way, there's also dollars connected to it. In the North America alone, the estimation is some $300 billion is lost due to stress. That wasn't, it's just this 300 billion gone out of North America. And then you proceed to look at it around the, around the globe. 
Um, let me give you the original definition of burnout, which was supplied by Dr. Herbert Freudenberger, who, who coined the term for us. And, and basically he said, burnout is to exhaust one's resources, mental, physical, emotional, by trying to achieve some unrealistic expectation imposed by oneself or society. In other words, we say to ourselves, I have to keep doing this. I have to keep doing this without ever questioning, is this the wise thing to do? And as we go through, that was in the mid seventies. Now what we're seeing is that there are all kinds of symptoms, if you will, that begin to say, oh my gosh, this is what burnout. So it isn't just exhaustion. And remember he said exhaustion of one's resources and where that manifests itself is things, not only fatigue, but pessimism, uh, negativity, uh, working harder, but accomplishing less, uh, being short-tempered, irritable, doing more. And by more, I mean more drinking, more eating, things that kind of hide what's going on. Can't remember the last time you ever played or you ever had fun. Laughter. Laughter seems like I can't remember the last time I laughed. Mm. Last time I laughed. So it's your body. It's the mechanism. So there's all kinds of different symptoms, if you will, that if I add them up, the prescription is, uh-oh, I, I think I'm burning out. And the other thing that, now this is where I disagree with the World Health Organization. They call it a, quote, occupational hazard. I believe that burnout can sometimes be in the home, that work is the place of safety. Work is the place of respite. And it's when I get back to this home environment that it's, it's I, I, can't seem to, I can't seem to get traction over here. Yes. So what compounds this now, David, and remember this was May of 2019. Now we're seeing it's even bigger, 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 bigger. And it's caused by what happened in February and March of this year of 2020, in which we now have a global pandemic. And in that pandemic, what we see now, all of us have been sent to the four corners of the world. We no longer have this place that we call work, but we have now literally put work and life together in the same four walls. And so for many people, they are actually overworking because, well, nobody can see me and I better, I better show that I, I, can, I can keep this up. And oh, by the way, I've got three kids over here. I have to homeschool. Oh my God, I'm sharing the kitchen counter with my with my best beloved over here, and and you know, it's just it's just it's it's compounded. And the research that is out around that, even you know, there was the initial bump in productivity, but it's not just imaginary. Like what you just said, I, the most recent stat I saw is that it's stuck to where people are working ten percent more than they were, even once you get rid of the commute and all of that people on average who are working from are still doing more and longer yeah. hours. Yeah. And I guess one of the questions is you can be working more. It is in inverse proportion. The harder I work, the value in what I get out is less. And I think that's one of the opportunities that we have in the role of leadership is to actually, and as you say, how do you create an environment where people no longer the fear of speaking out, you know, no more of that. The people, the, the good leader says, what is it that we're doing right now? That once you're at home and you start looking at this, you go, why are we doing this? Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. You're sparking, my, my brain is going a couple different directions. <laughs> One is that, 
as we have been having our, our conversations with leaders in different industries around courageous cultures and so on, one of the things that we're hearing frequently, and this is a positive thing to me, it's negative, but it's positive, is concern from those leaders about their people potentially burning out. That they are aware that the tendency is there. They're aware that it can happen. They're aware that if they don't do something from a leadership perspective to help their workforce navigate that, they're going to have some significant problems. Absolutely. Uh, it won't take that long for those things to happen. So we're, I know we're going to talk about solutions and we'll get there in, in a moment. Um, and the other is with the definition that you gave and the symptoms and like, okay, yeah, definitely have experienced some COVID pandemic related burnout. I got to own it. <laughs> You know, I try to be transparent with our listeners, and this is as much for me, maybe, uh, as it is for you. So we're going to get some good tips here. Eileen, walk us through, we know what burnout looks like. You gave us some good symptoms. What triggers it? We've got a multitude of triggers right now, not the least of which is we're trying to cram everything into, as you said, the kitchen table, which used to have miles between it for many of us, and, and now it doesn't always. What do we do? Okay. Um, I want to go back to something, David, that you said, because I don't want us to miss this. And it was the fact that leaders are becoming aware that they've got a staff that could be burning out and what to do with it. We can come back to this later, but I, at some point in time, before we close this off, I want to talk about what leaders can do. Absolutely. For their team. We'll come back to that okay. without a doubt. So, all right. So let's, let's talk about it's what I think of as being triggers. You use the word triggers, triggers or prompts. So there are things that happen that trigger us into this unrealistic expectation. Okay, here's the first one. And the first one is what I call personal history. It is that what, whatever voices talk in our heads, you know, it could be my father, it could be the fact that my grandparents came from, from India, and I'm now really, they, we finally settled, and we're over here, oh my God, I'm the first generation Canadian, and I have got all these expectations around me, and I need to show them that I can do these things. We have these voices in our heads that are personal triggers, and we don't even realize that they're talking to us, but it's the way in which we go about our life because of all of this personal stuff that goes on. So that's one of the first things is what, what is a personal trigger that if I really stopped and said, do I, do I, do I really need to work this way? Uh, well, my very first case study in this book is this wonderful millennial Hamza Khan, um, who you will meet in the book, who is a first generation in Canada from India. And he, all, he couldn't stop the voices in his head and no one until we li literally, I said to him, okay, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you why five times, Hamza, why? And when we got to the fifth why, he said, I, you're right. It's why am I doing this? I, you don't have an answer. Can we pause That's there it. and just capture that five why technique? Yes. Yes. So powerful. So as you're thinking about what to do as you're listening, I just want to capture that put a, a mental bookmark there for yourself to ask yourself five whys. Why am I, why doing, am I doing this? Okay. Why am I doing, well, why does that matter? Well, why does that? Well, what? Oh, and if you can't come up with a good why time to think about it. Okay. Keep going. I would think about it. That's like peeling the onion, you know, or, or I like to think it's the apple because once you want to get it's to the core and the core is out of those five whys. Uh, Cal Worthington, who is a, professor of computer science at Georgetown, has a wonderful book called Deep Focus. 
And it's saying, if you really want things to be good, stop, put it all away and focus on one thing. So when we don't do this, we overdo and we create more work for ourselves and more time for ourselves. Another one is what I think of as disconnected connections. And specifically, what we're seeing a rise of, and it's in the United States, but in other places too, when I was just talking to the some business community of the Philippines, we are not connected with each other as human beings. The connect we are we are made to be connectors. In fact, that word social distancing is a wrong word. We need physical distancing, but we yearn for social connections. And what can burn us out is loneliness. I'm the only one that's experiencing this. I can't go and talk to my buddy over here. We can't go have a cup of coffee in the morning. And so one of the ways in which we need to overcome this is to very, be very deliberate in how we make those reconnections because we need that. In fact, um, Vivek Murte, who is the doctor, he is the 19th Surgeon General of the United States, had a wonderful practice when he would bring his, his team together, and, and you can now do this on a Zoom thing. And he would, we, when he would bring them together, he started something called the Inside Scoop. And before he would have a meeting with everyone, he basically would say, share something about, share something about yourself that people don't know. What was your favorite vacation that you had? Bring in. And so what happened is people began to see each other not just as name, rank, and serial number, and this is the role you play on the organizational chart, they began to see each other as human beings. We need to counter this, this loneliness. And there's a, a very practical application for leaders, and I know we're going to talk more about some of the leadership applications here in a minute, but uh, just thinking about that right now of how to start in these remote meetings that we're having and you don't have to do it every time, but to work in anything that humanizes, finding something physical in your environment that speaks to you, telling us something we don't know about yourself, like uh, a meaningful picture that summarizes. like there's just so many ways that we can become human beings for one another. And as a leader, if you can help your team to do that, you're facilitating that the social connections that Eileen's talking about and helping uh, to if anything, inoculate perhaps your team against some of the burnout. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. Here's, here's the last trigger is a lack of meaning and purpose. Mm. So if I am engaged in whatever we're going to call this work, and I say, I do this because, okay, it pays the paycheck, you know, but this is not meaningful to me. And you can work very hard and long at stuff that carries no meaning. So one of our challenges is the way of overcoming this is to say, how can I, this is a, a resiliency skill. How can I reframe this in such a way that, okay, even though at face value, it looks meaningless, here's how I'm going to give it meaning. It's rather like that, that old, old story about the two bricklayers and somebody says, what are you doing? I'm laying a brick. And the other one said, I'm building a cathedral. Two very different ways of looking at that. And, and I will tell you that when I encountered some people that at face value think that's, what's the value, what's the meaning of that? They have turned it around. And specifically, I met a housekeeper, environmental services, in a hospital environment in St. Louis, Missouri, 
your housekeeper, custodian, whatever you want to call them. Now they say environmental services. And on the children's wing of this hospital was this wonderful, fanciful elephant that had been painted. I said, oh, that's wonderful. And they said, yes, I'm going to make up her name. Said, Susie, on her spare time, decided she has an artistic talent. She asked permission. Could she put something fun for the kids up on that window? She did. When she goes into the patient's rooms to clean, she frequently, she sings to them. She might draw something for them and leave a note on their pillow. Her quote job is housekeeper, custodian, environmental services. But how she found meaning is to take another piece of her talent and give it away in a way that may fill her heart. That's beautiful. Beautiful. I, I started my career in education and I'm thinking of uh, different folks in different roles there. Um, also, you know, the, the facilities maintenance folks um, who, you know, the kids would consider janitors, but some of those guys, they knew every student, they knew who was potentially ditching where, what their life circumstances were, uh, and would take them aside and have some of those heart-to-heart -heart conversations that weren't part of their job description, but they're like, they're part of an institution that's there with a purpose, and they had tied themselves to that purpose in a really meaningful, powerful way that was Love that beautiful to see. You've, you've, you're this story about the environmental services uh, woman, you know, touches the same element of like that connection to our why is so important. And as a leader, helping your people to be connected both to their personal whys as well as the whys of, of why your team is doing what it's doing. Right. Right. So anyway, those are the, those are the personal triggers. And then the other thing we want to know is what is organizationally. Yes. But this is, David, where we come into creating a... Because if we're aware of our personal triggers, we can start to do something about those personal... Well, and that's it. So if I move from burnout to breakthrough, the in-between step is to break out. Break out. If you think that burnout is the uh-oh, break out is the aha. Breakthrough is the... Uh. So I have to recognize that how do I break out... So this is where, like the five whys, I begin to say, what is it that I'm saying to myself? Who is it that I'm involved with emotionally that when I'm with them, I am just drained? We do have people like that. Oh. We might know, well, I have to be, no, you know, because there's one other trigger that I forgot. I need to mention that. And that is if you're a caretaker. And specifically, that's another way of burning out. When you're trying to do all of this, and you have a caretaker crisis. And I think for a number of us in the workplace, it's caring for an aging parent. And if that parent is with you, that's one thing. If that parent is in assisted living, long-term care, it's, you know, there's, there's, this is a hard, it's a hard time now because you can't be with them. Exactly. So. So you, so we've got our personal triggers. We become familiar with those. We can start to move to breakout, and we're we're going to go there. But before we do, let's talk more about some of those organizational triggers. What are some of the things that we might be doing inadvertently that contribute to burnout in our teams? Okay, so the, the first thing again is that what we are might be doing to our teams and not even knowing it is assume that work is going to go on normal, like usual. 
And the like usual oftentimes is doing stuff, like I said earlier, we don't need to do, we need to get rid of. That's why we have this great opportunity. If you will, if people will create those courageous cultures that you invite this explanation, what you're inviting for, and this is where we can get an organizational trigger. You don't have enough training. You set somebody out to do this stuff and oh my God, now they're supposed to be able to do quote Zoom calls or I don't have the training to do that. I don't know how to do that. It could be that the technology that we've given people is old, it's outdated. Now I'm expecting people to do uh, a video call and they've given them a, a, you know, a Logitech camera and oh my God, they're in the Mac world and the drivers for the Logitech don't work. Uh, the technology is wrong. So it could be that there are resources that are not right, technology that is not right, then control. What organizationally, I'm in control. And I, manager, have all the leaders. And so I don't listen. And this is where it's in such in sync what you all are doing. I'm not listening to people. And so feeling not heard is another way of organizationally pushing people down and shutting off all the possibilities. And yeah. therefore, I can burn out because I'm, I'm, nobody, nobody's paying when- any attention. When you do that, between the, the lack of resources or and insufficient resources or, or not lack of training associated with those and creating space for that, you created the psychic burden that is on all this extra energy that a person has to exert to, to go there. Uh, and then dealing with lack of control, like that's a cause in any situation, right? right. So right. that if I don't have some kind of agency over my life and my world, uh, that, that exacts a massive toll on our psyche. It's, it's gigantic. And so we have these unrealistic workloads. Um, and so one of, this is where it's a two-way street. You know, how do I employ, get the courage to speak out? How do I leader create an environment that is actually going to listen to this? Because this, the, the idea of workload is I get to say to you, if I'm the employee, Mr. Mr. Dai, you're my, you're my manager. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. But I can only do three things today because I've got homeschool kids over here and I've got, so what are the top three things you want me to do? Tell me what those are. And so I've got to be able to ask and also to take some stuff off uh, given what's going on in my life. So what this requires with the leader, David, is the hardest part of being a leader because it's the softest part of being a leader. It's the ability to listen. And it's the ability to have empathy. And I would just pause there because that skill, that ability to listen with empathy, uh, I don't know, right? I mean, it's always an important leadership characteristic, but I don't know that there's any characteristic as a leader right now that's more important for you to be investing in at this particular time uh, and, and moving apart from just the pandemic, we've got, you know, a global racial equity movement. And particularly if you're a person like I am, who's a white male, there's an incredible amount of listening you need to be doing. And it, and, and it takes work. It takes intentionality. And that's just not something you just wake up and do. No. It, it takes effort. And so as a leader to be investing in our ability to listen, and I don't say just listen because I don't want to minimize it. Listening is work. It takes intention. And the way you were talking about listening, Eileen, is with empathy, which you know, I like to say reflect to connect. What is that emotion that you're hearing? 
Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing from you is a lot of frustration. What I'm hearing is you don't feel adequate to deal with everything that you're being given right now. And and we need to talk about how to, to work through that. Well, listening is not a natural skill. It can be taught. And most of us, when we grow up, we weren't, we never, we weren't necessarily, maybe intuitively, some of us are better listeners than others, but really this is where, this is where you and I as coaches come in because we can step back and we can reflect, you know, what is it they said to you and what did you say in response? Because oftentimes what happens is our brain is giving what, you know, so I'll look good with this. Okay. I need to tell them, but it's, it's being in the moment with them. And this is, this is hard stuff. And the other thing that people want to hear from us also as leaders is truth. So there's insecurity, job security. What's going to happen to me? The transparent leader who can tell the truth, which is, you know what, gang? I don't know. We're in this boat together. I can tell you what we can do today. And I can tell you what we can do for the next week. And we're just going to, roll this boat together until we go to the next place because there's so many unknowns here. But we will also look at how can we, you know, this is where I want ideas, how can we pivot? You know, what can move us to a new, what can move us to a new place? It's not just, we just have to stand here and go, oh no, oh no, oh no. Let's, let's, let's just try some, let's try some things that are new. But I'm gonna be, as a leader, gonna tell you times like this, you know, sometimes I don't feel very confident either, but I am confident of us together. That's I just uh, cannot ex- accentuate that enough. The power of saying, yes, this is uncertain, but here's where we do have clarity. We know what we're doing today, but we know what we're doing this week and how I will communicate in the future. And although I don't know whatever is coming, what I do know is that we are up to that challenge that your belief in your team becomes their confidence in themselves and just can't underscore enough how powerful that is. Um, it, 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 it is. Do you remember a million years ago um, when the bottom went out for the automotive industry, Iacocca um, took a dollar in his salary. He was the head monkey muck. And what we're seeing now is some CEOs are actually saying, you know what, I'm going to reduce my salary. I'm, and I want to make sure that you are protected. And I told you when, before we started, I was in, really intrigued by reading about the CEO for the smartphone cover that's called Otter. And they, had 11, they have 1,100 employees. My son has an OtterBox cover on his phone right now. There you go. There you go. And I pulled this out and I, I wanted to read this to you because I want to make sure that I'm accurate. The, the head of it is, is a gentleman whose last name is Park. Uh, let's see, his first name is Jim Park. And what Jim Park did was he first had a frank Q&A with the entire company. He's been sending weekly videos out detailing what the financial condition of the company is, what's the strategy for moving forward, and then setting aside time to virtually meet individual employees at all levels of the company. But he's doing more than just talk. I'm going to read this because I want to be accurate. He's offered some 600 distribution center employees. Okay. This is kind of like the Amazon warehouse who are not able to work remotely. The ability to opt in with full pay if they are too frightened to come to work. 
if they live with someone who is a high risk of being infected or they're forced to stay home to care for family members. Those who do work are earning time and a half. In the meantime, executive salaries have been cut by 30% and Park has slashed his own pay to a dollar. Wow. I had not heard that. That is amazing. I, I saw that this morning. I said, thank you, God, you delivered it into David in my hands. It's a great example of what a leader can do as people are overwhelmed and afraid. And this burnout just keeps going. And so what it does is it gives his employees a sense that confidence in him and a belief in that organization. You will take care of us. We mean something to you. And that's so, so beautiful. And if you're listening right now and you don't happen to be the CEO, if you do, then great. You can figure out your way of doing that. But if you don't happen to be the CEO, the principle of communicating to your team that they matter to you as human beings, that you're listening, uh, that you're able and willing to do whatever you can that is within your purview to help people navigate these, these times is incredibly meaningful. And so the principle of that, that translates. You may not be able to cut your own salary and give it to your employees. Maybe you can. Have you asked? I don't know. But, you know, depending on the situation, like what is it that you can do that's meaningful for your people, that's responsive, that's engaged, that is is actually hearing where they're. And sometimes we don't have to overthink this. Sometimes it's just having that conversation and saying, I hear you. I, I can this is what I hear you saying. This is what I hear you feeling. And let's talk about what we might do together to go through that. Even that is the same principle uh, that, that I hear you talking about, Eileen. Absolutely. And the flip side of that is for you to ask for ideas and support from the people that are part of your team. Well, you know, we're a fan of that. <laughs> so you are so spot on when you said what a leader can do to listen with empathy and to let people know you matter to me, wherever you find yourself in the organization, you might be part of the team. But the other thing a manager or leader can also do is the flip side, is to ask the team for their support. What have you found that has worked? Because I'm right now in this situation, I don't get it, and will you help me? That vulnerability is very powerful. It's humility, it's saying, I you know, we're all in this and I can't figure this one out. I bet you have, and please tell me. You know, that word humility, David, I love that word humility because at the base of it is the word humus, which is that wonderful rich soil that allows things to grow. Mm. I think humility, true humility is saying, help me plant stuff. Show me what has to come and what can we grow? You know, what can we grow together? So that, that transparency, that humility, the vulnerability is what also puts us in relationship with each other. And that idea that I'm disconnected, that I'm lonely. Oh, you know what? We are together. So beautiful. Uh, the, the sentiment there, I mean, you, you know, obviously we are huge fans of asking and seeking that input and recognizing that as a leader, you don't have to have all the answers. And, and to really think that you ever would is pure hubris at this point. We live in way too complex a world, right? Uh, but to ask the questions, that is a leader's job. To yeah. figure out this is where we're trying to go. 
this is what's needed uh, in terms of the outcomes we need to achieve. And I know one of those is we need to keep everybody healthy along the way. So let's talk about it. I mean, my goodness, to approach your leadership that way is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. So Eileen, you have given leaders a number of different ways to approach. And we definitely, we, we've tackled that question about different ways that leaders can help overcome uh, and help their people to avoid burnout, help lessen or lighten the triggers that can cause that for individuals. I have two questions left for you on this topic in this regard. One is, is there anything else we didn't that you think leaders absolutely need to be aware of? But then the second would be for leaders themselves personally who are feeling this burnout. And, and I'm speaking for myself. I'm speaking for, I know so many of the leaders I've talked to who themselves have just gotten there. Where do you suggest they start? It's what I think, and many of us are guilty of this, it's email diarrhea. <laughs> we just overload people with email. And that's another one of those technology tyrants uh, or meetings that you call 12 people together. And the truth of the matter is you only needed two. So you've taken people's time up. So I just, that those are two very practical things, but do you really need to send this? And do you really need to hold that meeting? And who really? One of my favorite ways of asking that question about meetings is, is the person I'm inviting to this meeting, is this going to be the most productive use of their time? Because if it isn't, why would I want them there doing something that isn't the most productive use of their time? So let's go to that second half of the question then. Okay. This is what can you do for yourself? Because we have to do something. So I'm going to suggest that first and foremost, everything that you and I get begins within our head. What we say to ourselves either gives us energy or depletes our energy. And by the way, Resilience at the end of the day is energy management. What is energy but the capacity to do work? What either gives me energy or what drains me? So I'm going to suggest first and foremost, we say to ourselves, what the heck am I thinking? And does it make sense? The five why question that you asked that one, David. The other thing is, do I find myself thinking, well, that's the way we've always done it. So we have to, so we hang into the past. Do I find myself holding on to past grudges I don't want to work with so-and-so because I remember when and all. That's all negative crap. So we need to get out of that past. The other thing, though, is that can also drain our energy is worry. Worry is interest paid on a debt you might not owe. I did not make them up. William Inge, the playwright, said that. But when I find myself worrying about what can happen all the way down here, I just missed my place of power. My place, the only place I have influence over is right now today. So I might do uh, scenario planning and say, okay, if all these different, what could we possibly put in place, but then leave it, is how do I show up here today? The other thing that can help us is what I talked about before is to reframe. How do I reframe this in a way that I see what is possible versus what is impossible? And that's where other people might be able to help me reframe what this looks like. The next thing that I can do for myself is where I think of is listening to your heart. The heart is now we call it the little brain because we know that the heart and the brain talk to each other. The heart has a bigger energy field, a stronger energy field than the brain. And so 
your intuition, for everybody listening, your intuition oftentimes is a heck of a lot smarter than your brain. And how many times, David, maybe you've done this, where you sit there and go, well, I knew better. I just didn't do it. Yep. Your brain, you know, the logic side, your brain overrode that. And when we learn to honor, because there's something about the situation here, how do I honor that intuition and pay attention to it? And then, of course, there's that whole heart connection as you and I've been talking with the with the team that gathers around you. How do we create? How do we create that heart connection? And then, of course, what are you going to do? And I have a, a saying. You can quote me on this. I came up with this a couple of years in the shower. Have you noticed how you can become shower brilliant? Where all of a sudden you go, "Oh, that's good." Well, action is the anecdote for anxiety. Ta da! That's right. Put something in motion, anything in motion, because that can begin to dispel. And when I'm saying motion, that's not that you go out and do a thousand things. What is something that you can put in motion that begins to move you in a place in which you feel more in control rather than life controlling you? It, it re-empowers. Action is the antidote to For anxiety. Anxiety. So there you go. You can hang that one on your shower wall. But you know what you're reminding me of, uh, Eileen, is that ultimately, if we're experiencing burnout, I can't blame that on my spouse, on my company, on, you know, some government for not or what, however they've handled their response. Like, ultimately, this is the only thing I've got control over. For those of you listening, I'm pointing to myself right now. And that it's up to me to take responsibility and ask, how can I, what's one thing I can do right now to start moving in the direction of addressing the triggers that you've, you've shared with us to, to take any of the, the actions that you've given us about a dozen different things that we can do both for ourselves and for our team, but that it starts with us. And, and ultimately, isn't that part of the definition of leadership is we have to lead ourselves first. Absolutely. I mean, it was D. Hawk, you know, the founder of Visa, that said, if you choose to, if you want to lead anybody else, you first, sell, you first start with yourself. Then you lead the people above you before you start to lead the people below you. So, yes, it is all with me. And let me give you another practical thing, David. I'm really big on language. Just like I said, social distancing is the wrong term. It's physical distancing. It's to substitute the word have to excuse me, to substitute the word choose to for have to. Yes. Choice, that's the most powerful word we have. Every time I say I have to do this, no, I, I don't have to do this. I, I don't have to wear a mask. I'm choosing to wear a mask because I'm choosing to keep myself and everybody else safe. Such I a am, critical life principle. There's only three huge. things we have to do. We have to breathe, because you can hold your breath for what, about a minute? And then you got to right, breathe. Right. Your body for have right. to eliminate waste. Anybody been on a road trip, you know you have to. <laughs> and we all die at some point. But apart from those three things, there's nothing we have to do. It's always we it's get a choice. And I think that when we realize we have choices, then we begin to do the five whys. Why am I choosing this? And there's always more than two choices, by the way. There's always more than two. We might not like some of them. 
But I always have those choices. And oftentimes the people around me can give me some other alternatives to think. It's what in Quaker terms, they have clearing circles. And it's where the person in the middle speaks out and other people listen. And they might say, but they're not trying to solve this person's problems. And they're just offering an idea, listening. How do you become clear? You know, what are those, what are those choices? So like it was my choice today to have this Friday conversation with you. My great delight, my great choice. Well, I am glad that you made that choice and that we were able to connect this way. Listen, the name of the book, if you have been listening, you know already you have got to get this book. Could not be more timely or relevant. Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters Most. And as you already can tell, Eileen breaks it down, gives you step-by-step the process, things to be thinking about, reflection steps to take, and ways and the stories that go with it so you can understand exactly what we're talking about to to take and transform and move through the steps of burnout, as she said, to break out and then to break through. And as a leader, I sincerely hope that you will invest in this resource for yourself. Do the work that we've talked about today today in the episode and take those steps for yourself because your team needs you to be in a healthy place and you need you to be in a healthy place and you can't lead if you're not there. Eileen, I'm going to put all of the links and everything where we can connect with you uh, in the show notes, but tell us uh, what's the best place to find the book, to learn or connect with you. Anywhere that you'd like us to go, you tell us and we'll make sure we'll include all of them. Well, the the book is alive and well. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's in Goodreads. It is both in the um, Kindle edition. It also is in the audio edition. Um, So if you're a listener, you could listen if you want to do it on your, your iPad or whatever you have. But of course, I'm, I'm like you, David, I like to hold a book so they can get it in any of those places. I would, and I would love for you to come to my website. So if you can spell my name, you can get to the website and you will find, and we're gonna constantly be upgrading this, resources around the book. There'll be additional things for you to consider. There'll be some little quizzes. How am I doing on this, 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 and this? And it's, it's a work in progress, so we'll keep adding it to it, which by the way, you will find Courageous Cultures listed, listed as one of, the, one of the great resources that are there. Any longtime uh, listener of this show recognized quite a few Courageous Cultures uh, synergies there as you were talking. It, 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 I mean, it, it is, it is. And why not? See, that's the other thing. We're in this together. This is not something that just happened in the state of California or where you are on the East Coast. We're here to help each other. We have never been in this place as a world as we are now. So the more we can help each other do this, the better it is. And when you do that, you're on your way to being the leader you want your boss to be. Eileen, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, David. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.